0: And so if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to find the book of 1 Peter. We're going to continue our study through that wonderful book of the Bible. And I was thinking about it this week that back in March when the pandemic hit, uh, a lot of parents were pretty much against their will, kind of thrown back into the school classroom as uh, all the districts shifted their curriculum to online. And I don't know if, if you were like me, but... Uh, maybe get a raised hand emoji if, if you were, but I'm telling you, man, when I would help my kids with some of their work, I, more more times than I'd like to admit, I kind of had this confused look on my face because honestly, I knew there was some of the stuff they were asking about that I've learned before, but it had been so long ago and it's not information that I use readily that I, I didn't know the answer to it. And so I'd give them kind of this confused look like, I'm sorry, we're going to have to Google that one. And thank God for Google. Can I get an amen on that? But I was thinking about a few years ago, I remember Luke was in first grade. And I remember this night so well, we went to eat dinner at Cilantro Cocina. And, and while we were sitting down for dinner, my wife told Luke, well, why don't you share with daddy uh, some of the things that you learned today about the planets? And so he did, right there at the dinner table, he gave me uh, a true false quiz about the planets. And I remembered some of the questions. The first one was this, and maybe you could, you, you can take this test online, you can answer in the comments if you'd like to. True or false? Mercury is the planet that is closest to the sun. Is that true or false? And of course the answer is true. The second question, uh, Jupiter is the largest planet in the solar system, true or false? So will let you respond for a second. And of course the answer is true. This one was one that, that kind of tripped me up though. True or false, Jupiter has 16 moons. Now, I remember when he asked that question, I remember that Jupiter had multiple moons, but I could not remember the number. And so I said, true. And he said, wrong, Daddy, it's false. It has at least 64. Okay, well, I didn't, didn't know that one. Here's the last one. True or false? Mars is most similar to Earth in terms of size. Is that true or false? And of course, the answer is false. It's Venus. Now, we learn at a very early age in science class how to identify planets. Mercury is the one closest to the sun, Jupiter is the largest, Saturn has rings, Mars is red and, and on and on. We even learned kind of the order from the sun, how the planets are in our solar system and the identity of the objects in our solar system tell us about what they are and what they do. For example, moons are different than planets. We know that the sun is not a planet, that the sun is a star. And But over time, if you're like me, we kind of forget what we once knew. And I remember that night at dinner, when I was uh, being quizzed by Luke that honestly, I just started kind of making up my own answers. I was I started guessing because I really didn't know, even though I know back in science class when I was in elementary school, maybe even in junior high, that I had learned those things but I would forgotten. And I think that we do that a lot of times when it comes to the Christian life. As children of God, we we have an identity and as such, we are called to a certain kind of life or to live in a certain kind of way. In fact, in this book, uh, of first Peter, this letter to these believers. Uh, Peter's been calling us to the life that we are to live as a child of God, but I think that many of us forget our identity in Christ, and over time, rather than really know what the truth is and how to live our lives, we begin to adapt to the thinking and the mindset of our culture. In fact, I want to ask you just a question. What is your identity in Christ? What, what does your identity in Christ look like? And then secondly, how does your identity in Christ affect what you do? If you recall, if you've been a part of our study in 1 Peter, you know that, that if you're a child of God, Peter says that we are to live in hope because our hope has been has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ that never fades away. It, it never perishes. And, and you also know that we are called as Christians to live holy lives. That's what Peter called them to in chapter 1, to be holy as the Lord your God is holy. And he also calls us to love. And we talked about this uh, last week, that we are to love sincerely and to live in obedience to the word of God. That's the kind of life that we're called to live. And so I want us to pick up today where we left off last week in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. He said, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And that milk that he refers to that we should be longing for like a newborn baby is a reference to the end of chapter one when he talks about the word of God. And so building on that, I want you to really focus for a second on verse three. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And when we have an encounter with God, we realize that God is in fact good and Peter now continues in his teaching, and I want you to listen for your identity as a believer in Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, Peter says, this is who you are, verse four. And as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a, spirit, a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Have you ever had the unfortunate experience that I've had where you lost your wallet? I remember that we were having lunch one time at, at Luby's at, at, in the Greens Point area, and we had, we had lunch. We went back to the evening service at the church where we were serving at the time, and I could not find my wallet. I couldn't find it anywhere. We searched through my car. We went back to Luby's to see if they had it. It wasn't there. Uh, we checked everywhere that we could and, of course, couldn't find it. And so immediately I began to think of well, what do we need to do? I've got debit cards in there. I've got my ID in there. You know, I've got information in there that I don't want other people to have a hold of. And so you begin to process like a lot of other people do. You begin to cancel all those things to protect your identity because your identity is so important. Uh, in, in fact, I was uh, recently doing a financial transaction at our bank and they asked for my ID. And when I sent the ID in to the bank, I sent my ID. I didn't send... Someone else's I sent mine and there's a reason for that because the bank wants to know who I am Who's this person that's trying to withdraw this money from this account? And they do that to protect me and to protect uh, the money that's in the bank But I want you to notice what Peter did here. Peter tells us about ourselves. He gives us our ID But before he really goes into the details about us He first shows us the idea ID of Jesus Christ. That's what he did in verse 4 Before telling us who we are in verse five, I want you to see again what he said in verse four. As you come to him, him being Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Jesus is identified in verse four with really four different characteristics. I want you to see them. The first one is he's called a living stone. Do you see it there at the beginning of verse four? As you come to him, a living stone Now, Peter, if you'll remember, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, had already used this word living to describe our living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that word living in chapter 1 and verse 3 is the same word that you find in chapter 2 and verse 4 when he describes him as a living stone. A living stone is connected to the living hope that we have in Jesus because of his resurrection from the dead. So that word living, it means having true life or it it literally means to be breathing, to have that sign of life that there is breath in the lungs of that person. Our hope as Christians is a living hope because our hope is built upon the living stone of Christ who proved his his uh, deity through his victorious resurrection from the dead. He overcame death and is now alive forevermore. And because of that, Peter says he is the living stone, the living rock of our lives. But notice also in verse four, another word that's used, he, he says that Jesus is chosen. Now, when we think of the word chosen, oftentimes we think of being picked or selected, like someone chose me for their team, but it can also mean the choice in terms of the best in class, uh, in its class. I remember when Leslie and I were uh, getting engaged and started looking at engagement rings, uh, we went to a a place uh, where we were gonna pick ours and and learned a lot about rings and how to look for diamonds. And of course, if you're there, they'll tell you there's the four C's of looking for a diamond. There's carat, the weight, there's clarity, color, and cut. And so they would often bring the rings up with these different diamonds and you would look at each one to see which one had the best clarity, which one had the best color and, and on and on. And I added a fifth C and that's the word cash. Can I, can I get an amen in there? Cause in diamonds, they can't go out for free. And so we, we looked through all these different diamonds and we kept looking for which one looked the best, which one was the biggest, which one, uh, you know, had good color. And so we picked the one that we wanted and we were really happy with that one. And, and just for fun, I, I asked our, the person that was helping us that uh, picked the ring I said I, I want to see the best diamond that you have in the store and, and that was a mistake and the reason it was a mistake was because I was so happy with the ring that we were purchasing until I saw the best diamond that they had in store and, and you look at the price tag and I knew immediately like that was way out of our price range but when you compared the the color and the clarity and all of that it was a noticeable difference because it was the very best and what What Peter is how Peter describes Jesus in verse four is he says he is chosen, and that is that Jesus is unmatched. No one can compare to Jesus in terms of his purity, his power, his beauty, his grace, his mercy, his holiness, his knowledge. Jesus is chosen. But there's another word in verse four that's used to describe Jesus. Not only is he the living stone, he's the chosen, and he's chosen, meaning the best, but he is also precious. It means to be valued or held in honor or prized. In my desk at home, I, I keep this card. Uh, I'm not a person that keeps a lot of cards for a long period of time. I may keep them for a time, uh, but then you know, lose track of them. But I kept this one because it's from my wife to me. And it's, you know, you go to the store and it's just kind of a standard card, a generic picture on the front, and it's got some words on there. But what I really love about this card is not the words that are pre-printed on it, but it's what my wife wrote to me on this side. And what she wrote to me in there was, it told me that I was valued to her, that she was thankful for for me and for our marriage and for the fact that God had chosen me to be the father of, of her children. And, and I keep that card because it was a reminder to me of how much my wife valued me and it means a lot to me. It, the, if you look in 1 Peter chapter one and verse 19, Peter uses the same, uh, a word that has the same root word as the word that's translated precious in chapter two, in, verse four. in chapter 1 and verse 19, Peter writes, "...with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot." That word precious is from the same Greek root word that we see translated in chapter 2 and verse 4 as the word precious there. And the idea is that it's valued or it's held in honor or high regard. It's prized. So Jesus is the living stone. He is chosen in that he is matchless in quality and that he is precious and that he is valued. But there's a a fourth descriptor in verse four that I want you to see, and I hope this really speaks to your heart this morning. In verse four, he says that Jesus was a living stone rejected by men. Look down to verse six. Peter's gonna kind of unpack this a little bit. He says, for it stands in scripture in those verses, you'll see that if maybe in your Bible, if you're reading it, that the middle part of those verses is kind of offset or indented in a little bit. And that means that Peter is quoting from the Old Testament and he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16 and chapter 8 and verse 14 and then Psalm 118. And what Peter's saying is simply this, that Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. Now the cornerstone was the first foundational stone that would be laid in a building and it would, would be the stone around which the entire building would be built. And so what Peter is saying is that God is building for himself a people that he has redeemed for himself. That is the building that he is building. It's the people that he is redeeming, those who believe are a part of this building But Jesus is the cornerstone. But look in verse six of what Peter says that in order to be placed in this spiritual building, it's for those who believe in him. But in verse four, he would be rejected by some and they would stumble. He would become a rock of offense or a stumbling block to them. In verse seven, we find two groups of people and every person that's listening to this today is in one of those two groups. You are either one who has believed in Jesus as the cornerstone of your faith, or you are one who has rejected him and you have stumbled over him. And I wanna ask you, to which of these two groups do you belong? Do you believe that Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith? That Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection proves that he is God and the only way to heaven? Or have you rejected him? And and maybe you would write this as an affirmation in the comments or just make a note in your Bible next to those verses. Maybe you would write, I believe that Jesus is the cornerstone, that Jesus is the one upon which all of our faith is to be built. Can you say that today as your affirmation? Because there are really only two groups of people. Those who believe in him, And those who have not are those who have rejected Him. And you are one of those two groups, or you are in one of those two groups. But for those who are believers in Jesus Christ, Peter goes from reminding us in verse 4 of who Christ is to then reminding us who we are in verse 5. So let's read these two verses together again. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 5 that you, as a believer in Christ, you are then called a living stone. It's the same exact phrase that's used in verse 4 to describe Jesus. In the same way that Christ is the living stone through his victorious resurrection, You are a living stone placed in God's family at the moment that you have given your life to Christ. You pass from death to life. That's the moment that you become a living stone. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter two in verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Listen, without Christ, Without faith in Jesus Christ, you are spiritually dead. But when you place your faith in Christ as your Savior, you are made alive in Christ and then becoming a part of God's family and placed in this spiritual house that God is building on the earth. This phrase, Lively Stones, describes that miraculous transaction that takes place when a person places their faith in Christ, they are passed from death unto life. John wrote in John chapter five, quoting Jesus, truly, truly, I say to you that whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life, and he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death unto life. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you who were dead in your sins are made alive together in Christ. And Peter reminds us in verse five that that's who we are in Christ, you are in the same way that Jesus is a living stone because of his resurrection, you as a believer in Christ, you've been made alive through Jesus Christ as your Savior. My kids love to play with Legos. And I think of this beautiful imagery that we find in verse 5, that we're being built up as a spiritual house. They love to play with Legos. And when you get a big bucket of Legos, there's you know, various shapes and sizes and there's different colors and, and at first, it just looks like a, a huge mess. But when someone begins to put those together and coordinates the bricks, you can build some incredible structures. There was a TV show on recently that I was watching the series about these Lego builders and the stuff that they would put together was simply amazing. But it took each individual brick to make this huge sculpture, these wonderful masterpieces. Notice in verse five that according to Peter, these living stones are not just individuals as a Christian Christian the Christian life, you were never intended to live that just as an individual. God has placed you within the context of the larger Christian community. And notice in verse five, that you who are in Christ as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. That's who you are as a believer in Christ. Like living stones, you're being built up as a spiritual house. But notice in verse 5 that your identity is something else. You're not just a living stone. He says to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. If you look down to verse 9, Peter's going to reiterate it when he calls us a royal priesthood. One of the fundamental teachings of of the scripture, especially in the New Testament, is what's called the priesthood of the believer that every person who is in Christ is a priest of God. Oftentimes we think of it in our cultural context and maybe even in our religious context that pastors or bishops are the people who are priests, but we're just Christians. That's not the way that the Bible describes it. In fact, if you look at verse five at what he says, you're being built into this house, but notice to be a holy priesthood. And in verse nine, again, he reiterates that, that you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Now in the Old Testament, the priests would minister on behalf of the people and the high priest would go into a place called the Holy of Holies and there was a veil over the door and only the high priest could enter there and he would uh, offer sacrifices on behalf of the people and he would serve as a mediator between God and man. And so you had God and you had man and the one who was in between was the priest or the high priest, and he would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. But what Peter is saying here is that every child of God that's placed in this spiritual house is a priest in and of themselves. And that comes with a tremendous blessing, but also a great responsibility. And the blessing is this, that as believers in Jesus Christ, we have direct access to God. We don't have a mediator on this earth. You don't have to go to a preacher or a priest to pray and to talk to God. We go directly to God because we have one high priest, Jesus himself, who offered himself once and for all. And so we don't need a priest to go offer sacrifices for us because Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. And then he sat down on the right hand of God. We don't need an earthly priest to serve uh, between us and God, or we don't need a ritual or ceremony of any kind to give us access to the door of heaven or to God's throne of grace. We can come directly to God, our father. And the reason is very simple. In Hebrews chapter four and verse 14, it says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Then he says in verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. My kids know that when they need something, they don't have to go through someone else. They don't have to go and get a neighbor down the street and say, hey, I want to ask something to my dad. Would you mind go and asking him for me? They can come directly to me because they're my child. You'll remember when Jesus was crucified and at the moment of his death, the Bible tells us that the veil of the temple was, was torn from top to bottom. And in that moment, what God was saying was simply this, that, that man no longer needed a priest to intercede for them or to be a mediator between God and man. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we now have direct access to God We don't have to go through a priest. We we believe that every person who is a believer in Christ is considered a part of the priesthood under God. And so there is this tremendous blessing that we have direct access to God. But as priests, if we truly believe in the priesthood of every believer, that also comes with a responsibility because the priests not only uh, went as mediators between God and man, but they also served the needs of God's people priests were servants and we have the responsibility notice again what he says in verse 5 to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ what are those spiritual sacrifices that a priest would offer well the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 13 and 15 through him let us then continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So, here are a few things that we're called to do as believers in Jesus Christ, as, as part of the priesthood of the believers. We're called, first of all, to praise God. That's one of the spiritual sacrifices that's acceptable to God. The writer of Hebrews also said to give thanks, to do good, and to give to others. The book of James says that we should pray for others. In Romans chapter 15, we're told that part of our responsibility as the priesthood of the believer is to bring people to Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, sacrificing your desires for the good of other people. In Romans chapter 12, he says that we must present our bodies a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to God. It's our reasonable act of service. As priests, we are called then to serve other people. That is your identity. You are living stones as a part of a house, but you are being turned into or built up as a priesthood that is to offer spiritual sacrifices unto God. But here's the key. And I wanna read these verses again. I want you to catch the connection. The first phrase of verse four is so important. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, That. That is a reference to Jesus. So as you come to him, him being Jesus, the living stone, the chosen, precious son of God, verse five, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I want you to notice in verse four, there's an active part that you play as you come to him. That's your responsibility to draw near to him. If you make the connection with verse three, when he talks about if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and then you build that upon what's at the end of chapter one, which is the word of God and 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 desiring the word of God and looking for that word that never perishes and never fades away. You'll see that what, what has to happen is you have a responsibility. As a child of God, you are called to draw near to him. That's your responsibility. But in verse five, The language here is not active, it's passive. When he says that you are being built up, you must draw near to God, but it is God who does the work in you. It is God who builds you up into this spiritual house. It is God who builds you up to be that holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices. It's God's work in you. So you have to draw near to him but all of the work that will be done in your life to make you what God wants you to be, it's his work. And these two phrases that we must draw near to him or we must come to him and that he will build us up, those two denote a continuous present action that we have to constantly be drawing near to Christ so that he can constantly build us into this spiritual house that he desires for our lives. And as you draw near to him, He builds you. You don't build yourself. You don't make yourself holy. You don't make yourself a priest that is able to serve. It is God who does that work in you. Look down to verse nine as Peter continues his description. But you as children of God, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When you read this in context, I believe that Peter in in his mind is specifically thinking of the Jewish people who were dispersed uh, throughout the Roman Empire and throughout Asia Minor. But notice what he says, that they are a chosen race. That word chosen is the same word that's used in verse four to talk about Christ. And it means the best of its kind or class. It's a reference to his people. And I believe that Peter is drawing from the Jewish people and what they would know from Deuteronomy chapter seven, verses six through eight, when God called Israel with a special purpose from among the pagans, that you are called to be God's people and to be peculiar and to be different from the world around you. And I think the application is so clear that you and I, as God's children, we are a chosen people, that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that belong to God And we're not the best or the choice. We're not chosen because somehow we were beautiful or worth it. God didn't choose you because you're an American or because your skin is a certain color. In fact, Romans chapter five and verse eight says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. All that we have in Christ is not, we're not chosen because we're good in and of ourselves. We are all sinners before God. God chose us because of his great love and mercy. So before you well up with pride and say, I'm a part of God's chosen people, it is only by God's grace and it is only by God's mercy that you are special in the eyes of God. You see, I think people have this idea that in eternity past when God created the heavens and the earth and then he created man and all the living creatures on the earth and then created man and then rested that that God somehow in eternity past was lacking. No, God was completely self-sufficient, all powerful in eternity past. It is only by his grace and mercy that we even came into existence. And God chose us to be a part of his family. And that's not any part in us, it is all due to the goodness and the graciousness of God. So he says, you're a chosen race, a chosen people, a holy nation to be set apart. And notice also what he says, a people for his own possession. In some translations say a peculiar people. We think of peculiar as strange, but the Greek word is a possession, one's property. In other words, what God is saying in this verse through Peter is this, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're to be set apart from the world but you are God's possession. I have a dictionary in my office that I had when I was in college. I've had it for quite some time. If I went and listed that on, on eBay, I might get a couple of dollars for it because all this stuff is accessible online. But if I had a dictionary in my office that wasn't just mine from college, but it belonged to Abraham Lincoln, and I went on eBay and I could authenticate that and tried to sell that dictionary, it would the value of that would go up Uh, so much because of who owned it. And I want you to know that about your life, that you are valuable in the eyes of God because God owns you and your value is seen not in who you are, but in who God is and his work in our lives. You are God's possession. You are his people. You are his nation. You are his priesthood because he has purchased you by his own blood and by his mercy. I think that we often think of God with a scowl, kind of up in heaven with a wrinkled brow, his jaws clenched, you know, and, and ready at any moment to shake his head at us and ready to pounce on us. But we need to be reminded that we have a merciful God who chose us by his grace and his mercy. Imagine the temptation that these Christians may have faced in order to blend in with the culture. They were under tremendous persecution. And no doubt there would have been temptation to just kind of fall in line with everyone else, to sacrifice or to compromise their beliefs and their adherence to the word of God. But Peter reminds them, this is who you are in Christ. You are living stones. We are reminded first of Christ's identity, that he's the living stone, that he was chosen, that he was precious and that he was rejected. And then he says, and you are living stones being built into a spiritual house. You are priests of God that are to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. For what purpose? To what end is God building this house? Why is he raising up priests who are believers? Why has he chosen his people? Why has he chosen this special nation, this spiritual house to be built? I think it's the end of verse nine. He has called you that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has chosen us. We are his beloved. We are a part of the family of God, not to shrink away from the culture, not to completely draw away from it, but to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you from darkness to light. We are called as believers to proclaim who he is. I love verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You were once cut off from the family of God, but now you've brought, been brought near and into his family. You were once outside of his mercy, but now you're inside of that mercy. So let's take a quiz for just a moment. True or false? I accept Jesus as the cornerstone. And I've placed my faith completely in him for my salvation. Is that true for you? Or is it false? Are you a part of that spiritual house or have you rejected that cornerstone? If you've never done that before today, I want you to know that God looked at you in your sin. He saw you outside of his mercy. He saw you outside of his family. And before you were ever born, he made a way for you to be a part of his family and to be a part of this house that he's building up and this priesthood that is to offer sacrifices to God and for the good of other people. But it takes a choice on your part to choose him. God has chosen you by making a way for Jesus, for you to have life with him through Jesus Christ. And now you must choose him. If you've never done that before today, maybe in the comments, would you write, Jesus is my cornerstone. Maybe that would be the declaration of your heart today, that if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, today would be the day that you accept him as the cornerstone of your faith. Another question, true or false? In my life, I am drawing closer to God. Are you? Is that true? Are you doing what Peter said at the beginning of verse four, that you come to him, that you're drawing closer to him? Or do you find your life right now drifting away from him? True or false? I love the blessing of being a priest, but I haven't been offering up sacrifices to God. In other words, I'm a child of God, but I haven't been living my life for Him. Is that true or false for you? True or false? I'm serving the needs of others. Are you actively doing what you can to do good for other people and to serve their needs as you should as a priest? True or false? When people look at my spiritual house, it's obvious that God is at work in me. Is that true of your life? And true or false, my life makes Jesus known. Are you proclaiming the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into light? I want to pray for you today, regardless of where you are. And as you took that kind of quiz at the end, wherever you are with Christ, I want to just pray that you would be what God has called you to be. If you're outside of the faith, if you're outside of God's mercy, that today would be the day that you accept Jesus into your own heart. And if you are a believer in Christ, that today you'd be reminded that you are a living stone built up into a spiritual house. And as a priest of God, you're to be serving him and making him known. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for your mercy and your love. I pray, Lord, for those who are listening today, who have never placed their faith in Jesus, that today would be the day that Jesus becomes their cornerstone. Today would be the day that they place their faith in what Jesus did for them on the cross, that he died for their sins, was buried and rose again the third day. I pray that you would convict their hearts, God, as only you can, and that they would come to faith in you today. And for those who are believers, help us to live out our faith every day. Help us to be reminded today that we are living stones being built up into a spiritual house, that we are priests for you, that we are to offer up sacrifices that are pleasing to you. Help us to live a life of service to other people and to make you known, that we would proclaim with our lives and with our words the excellencies of you who have brought us from death to life, from light from darkness to the light. We thank you for it, Lord. We realize today that we're chosen, that we're a part of your family, not because of any good in us, but only because of the goodness of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.